Hello, this is Ralph Edwards, Acker, Warren from the Concrete Gang, and I'll be presenting a fill-in Concrete Gang show during their well-earned summer break. This is part of an ongoing series called Creatures of the Industry, and that's going to record the people who made our industry over the last 50 years as they reflect on that history and their time in it. And it's good morning from Creatures of the Industry. Our good friend this morning is Brendan Murphy, for many years the face of the CFMEU in Geelong. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Ralph. How are you? Yes, quite good in retirement, quite relaxed. And I take it that was quite a drive down from Forest this morning. It was, but I've combined a few things. Uh, We're meeting up with a few of the old... Other old creatures of the industry today at lunchtime, so it's, uh, it's worked out well. Good. Would have been uh, a little bit colder than Geelong, which I think was six degrees when I arrived. Yes, it was, uh, it was down to one degree. So. <laughs> now, you've had a few cold mornings in the industry over the years, but let's go back to the beginning. When did you actually start in the industry, and how did you come in? The first job I ever had was at the Grain Elevator Board, which are those uh, giant Nissan buildings that uh, house all the wheat in Geelong, and it was our job to hang off ropes and spray the roof. Washoe was our uh, was our organiser, and um, and it was a brilliant job because we couldn't spray if it was too windy, we couldn't spray if it was wet, um, so the the job uh, tended to to drag out, and it took them two years to do what they thought they were going to do in. In 12 months, I had to do it in the uh, the summers of two years, and uh, I did the first lot. Then I worked in a shell refinery. Um, so what years were these? Oh, Ralph. 70s, 80s? It would have been probably about three years before D-Ridge. So it's early 80s, and at that time, if memory serves me correct, it was a bit up and down in the industry because there had been a bit of a recession under the Fraser government and it was yeah. hard getting work. Massively, yeah. You know, you had to wait. You had to be able to turn your hand to a few different things. That's um, that's why I ended up in uh, Shell Refinery and uh, initially as a TA and then uh, then as a scaffolder. And then they built, uh, it was major construction for Geelong, they built the uh, Bay City Plaza and I managed to get on there and by that time... It was around D-Reach time, and uh, the industry was uh, in a bit of turmoil, and I slotted in very well. Um, in fact, I was down there one day at Bayside with you and, and Johnny, and I think the uh, cops were called. Yes. It was another yeah. exciting day at Bayside. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, right in the middle of the uh, D-Reach, 1986 into 87, but... but this was 86, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a great uh, entrance into the building industry proper. So I was a scaffolder on there and, and got elected the Labourer's rep on the job. We had, uh, I think it was Mick Young uh, was our organiser. Mick Young and um, Mick Label uh, were our organisers and they kept us pretty well informed of what was going on in, the, in, in other areas of the industry. And if you remember, you... you probably have a better memory than me, but it was when the Green Book was out and there was pay rises up for grab and I think it was $45 or something over three years. Mm-hmm. But the plumbers had uh, done a deal on the quiet to get... Heaven forbid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to get something like $78 
up front. Anyway, we heard about it, and with the assistance of the two mix, we got a bit of a campaign going, and we'd heard that uh, the company that built it, was, which was Taylor Industruct, had paid the whole 45 up front in Melbourne on a couple of jobs, and uh, we also heard about the plumber's little deal. So we decided we'd, we'd have a run for it. So we ended up having a picket out the front of Myers with the assistance of the BLF. We got great propaganda going, saying, what's wrong with Geelong workers? They got two heads. Why shouldn't we be paid the same as Melbourne? I think it lasted about a week and a half. And uh, in the end, Myers said to the company, get these blokes you know, out of the front. So they, um, yeah, we won that battle. And uh, it showed me what we could do um, if we had the right leadership and we all had a bit of a dip. So, yeah, that was my first foray into it. And uh, I'd already been going to a couple of the BL meetings with a good friend of mine, Johnny Ugrin, HR Johnny or BLF Johnny, as he was known. And uh, I used to go up to some of the branch meetings at Orr Street and um, really liked what I heard and uh, took out membership and looked for guidance. And uh, when I became steward on, on other various projects, I'd always look to uh, John Cummins as my wailing wall. I'd take all my problems for him and uh, he'd, he'd give me direction or advice. Yeah, it was always, always good advice. But he used to also, if I remember correctly, point out the window and go, the wailing wall's that oh, way. There, yeah, he did. F off. Yeah. <laughs> but he'd always... Uh, he'd come back. Follow it back, follow it up with the way to sort out the problem. He gave me some great direction. Just on, uh, you know, different projects. Remember, we were out at uh, Alcoa redoing the uh, carbon bakes. And your your big blue, 417 St. Kilda Road was on. Yep. And it was coming up to Christmas, and I think those blokes had been out of work for about 12 months there's something like that. Six, seven. And um, their families, I've been to the branch meeting and we heard their, their uh, plight and decided to try and organise uh, a bit of a fundraiser. Anyway, uh, I spoke at a couple of meetings and the Bricklayers Union at the time wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get behind it, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't support it. Anyway, uh, I remember coming up and telling uh, John... You know, grubbies are just a pack of grubs, and I was whinging my guts out. And he just uh, told me to get back onto the job and win the blokes over, which did. It worked. It worked a treat. And then uh, I, I organised for John and uh, John Sector to come down and uh, thank the boys and give us a bit of a report on the state of the uh, industry. And Alcoa threatened to lock us all in on the job. And we said, if you do that, We'll be withdrawing our labour and uh, I've still got photos of all the bricklayers. They all came out. Mm. Um, they all came out and uh, everybody gave because we were on really good money. And um, the story was that, you know, these guys and their families were going to face Christmas uh, absolutely uh, nothing. And uh, it pulled on their heartstrings. And um, despite their, their union and the FIA trying to influence it the other way. It all got up unanimously. That taught me a good lesson there. Um, if people are uninformed or really informed, then uh, don't class them, convince them of the error of their ways. 
Well, there's been a few blues around Geelong over the years, and uh, even today, despite the fact that I would have thought people would say that Geelong's a union town, there are still plenty of blues and there are still plenty of non-unionists running around and trying to, uh, shall we say, degrade the wages and conditions. But in the time that you have been one, an activist in the construction industry and also as an official for many years, do you think we're actually better now than where we were when you first came in? I mean, health and safety is probably an area that's improved, but the capacity of people to fight for their wages and conditions and so on do you think we're actually moved ahead in that time? Personally, I, I totally agree with the safety side of things, but uh, I think that our capacity to you know, stick by each other has been diminished, and I put it down to maybe it's the conditions that we fought for and, and won. Yeah, I, the less we had, the more we, the more unity we seem to have. That. Yeah, unfortunately, safety's the, the most important thing, I, I think. You know, at least blokes can pretty well guarantee that they'll go home at night. They don't feel under that pressure to uh, perform for the boss so you get another day's work. But I don't think we get our story out enough. I would have loved to have seen a... Uh, and then you're, you're doing it now, but a, a bit of a history of where everything came from, a history of the battles, and then I'd like to see it... Um, being compulsory reading for anybody who wanted to be a shop steward, just so they know uh, what people went through to um, achieve these things, and maybe they wouldn't. Uh, I, I just think they'd be better if they were more informed about the struggles that we had. And uh, you know, it, I mean, it was nothing to be on strike for a couple of weeks, and if somebody was really battling, we'd have a whip around. And the fundraisers, I mean, they were great for Mott Morell. Mm-hmm. I used to love going up to uh, the ones up in Melbourne and then we started doing them down here for our own issues. There was nothing better than a, a, a pull-up to get the uh, camaraderie going, I thought, and yeah, we had some great uh, pull-ups in this town. Not only have you had pull-ups to help individual workers, but there's also, over the years, my memory, been any number of projects undertaken, like the Geelong Unemployed Workers Group, and so on, to try and actually do this on a larger scale and apply it to more people. Do you want to exactly. talk about that a little bit? Because yeah, it was yeah. a matter that was, which was pretty bloody important through the 80s and 90s. As you said earlier, you know, we were going through a lull in the industry and, uh, and then there was, the, you know, the battle with the BWIU to uh, get recognition in Victoria and some of us... We're told bluntly, no, we've been we've been instructed by other officials of other unions not to give you a start. And that, that's where the Geelong Unemployed Construction Workers Union uh, that came out of that. And the activists, a lot of activists that had uh, spoken up during D-Reg and pre-D-Reg had been good stewards and they couldn't get uh, they couldn't get work. And uh, yeah, we had we had difficult times. But through the unemployed uh, construction workers union. We were in United Voice, and I remember going up and addressing the BWIU SMC and explaining to them that we'd heard that it was Baldestone going to come to Geelong and build uh, a project, a wool scouring plant. And at that stage, uh, they were talking about multi-skilling, how you know 
car runners and get dogmen's tickets and, you know, they do their own mobile scaffolds and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I, I remember addressing um, Vince Raffer and, and others up there and told them, look, you know, whilst we don't support this multi skilling, don't shut us out. And I was telling John about it and uh, the FYA organiser was crook and I was approached to represent them and didn't want to represent them. But spoke to John and uh, and it was only supposed to be for six weeks and uh, he said no it'd work out good because John and others were negotiating to get us a uh, a seat at the CFMEU table and so he advised to go and do it but as it turned out this bloke uh, got pretty crook and I was there for twelve months but um, I took all my direction from John and uh, much to the uh, disgust of uh, my Bob Smith who was the head of the FIA. Probably me by that stage. Slimy, that's yes. right, yeah, slimy, slimy. And, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good experience. And um, Kamo just said, let the, you know, represent the blokes as you'd want to be represented. Don't worry too much about uh, Bob Smith. And we had quite a few run-ins. And he was never short of, uh, Bob Smith was never short of people to report to him what I'd said at meetings. And i just remind him of his saying, you decide, we serve. And he'd say, no, you didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, thank Christ, he represents uh, working people. Can I make this observation, brother? Camo did have a habit of asking you to do a, a bit of a fill-in, and uh, somehow or another, it always ended up going a whole lot longer than anticipated. Yes, yes. And yes. can I ask you, is that how come you ended up the CFMEU organiser in Geelong? Was that a short-term gig that became permanent or what? No, at that stage, they'd approached me again. I'd gone back on that when uh, this flimey bloke finally recovered. I'd gone back on the tools and then I was approached again. So naturally, I went to my way wall and I think he uh, he spoke to the powers that be in the CFMEU because by that time, there'd been an accommodation for... Yeah, early 90s. Yeah, and I think John more or less said, well, if you don't put him on, he'll go to them. And that was his way of playing chess, I think. Yeah. And that's what got me in and uh, a bit of a baptism of fire. Like you said, uh, you know, he used to say the whaling walls over there. I said to him, John, who do I go to for direction? And he'd say, well, in this, this uh, one... We're, we're self-starters. <laughs> but he, he always uh, he always gave me good advice. So when you began as the CFMEU organiser in Geelong, what would you say was the state of the union and the state of the industry at that time? Were we organised? Was the industry flourishing? When you came in, what did you inherit? Well, it wasn't the mess that it was during D-Reach. It was at that stage, Johnny said so much to his chagrin. He was put uh, in to organise down in Geelong, and I don't think he liked the travel. <laughs> so it wasn't the mess. I, I can't claim any great... Uh... Was the industry prospering at the time? Was there work around? Yeah, there was a bit of work around at the time. They'd, uh, we'd finished the Basity Plaza. Kenneth had made money available for everything along the foreshore. The wool stores turned into uh, Deakin University. The bus port, which I was a steward on, that was going at the time. 
there was three jobs actually going at the same time and it was reasonably prosperous and uh, like I say Johnny Setka had got in early and done, done a fair bit of the hard yards Wayne Flett mm. used to go around with him and we had a we had a good name. So the industry in Geelong as I've always understood it is in two parts those who can work local and those who have to go to town Correct. and that has never changed but it does wax and wane a bit when the, with the work on and if people can work local they prefer to work local oh yeah of course do you think that over the years that there has been shall we say a little bit uh, of an attitude that maybe you don't play up a little bit uh, if you're working local compared to what you might do in town or do you think that there is a basically a common approach from construction workers in Geelong Look, you've got a core of people, I was one of them, that despite common sense, can't hold their tongue. They'll speak up whether it's um, wise or not. I've been noted for that. But I think this. I used to love Craig Johnson getting up at meetings and saying, this is the heartland of the union, and you know, this is the heartland of the trade union movement. I think he talked a lot of people into it. <laughs> uh, and I was lucky enough to organise a bit with Craig and uh, I just loved the way he, his uh, bedside manner at, at meetings. I loved... Uh, and his preparedness to work out of hours and address afternoon shifts on shutdowns and uh, we had some great times. One of them comes to mind where we cooperatively went out pre-shutdown to uh, Geelong Cement and uh, said, well, look, uh, the renewal of the Geelong Area Agreement, which was a uh, jobbing shop agreement, was due for renewal. And we said to the Cement Works, look, we'd like your shutdown to go smoothly, so why don't we negotiate an interim one? And uh, anyway, they didn't see the need for it. But they had a huge kiln change and they had to get a special crane over from South Australia to change this kiln. Anyway, we said to them, all right, well, we're going to have to have a meeting with all the uh, men on the shutdown uh, to give them an update. Anyway, we get a phone call from um, some of our loyal members and uh, they let us know that uh, their tactic was going to be to have the kiln all rigged up on night shift and then have it lifted in the air for when we were going to call a meeting. Anyway, I managed to get a hold of Craig, who'd uh, been out probably at some fundraiser or something. He rang me at about one o'clock in the morning. I told him about it. We got together at four o'clock in the morning and uh, got out there for five o'clock. And I can remember the manager, a bloke named Joe Cutler, big bloke. And we're walking down the driveway and he's done a double take. He's turned around, seen us, and just, that was brilliant. So we stopped the crane being utilised to lift the kiln out so they couldn't claim it was a safety issue and we reported to the troops, the troops all went home myself and uh, Craig, I was losing patience with it but um, we negotiated till about 11 o'clock that night and we got the agreement and that became the renewal of the Geelong Area Agreement but what the bastards did at the end of the shutdown, they taped us during negotiations and took us to the Arbitration Commission and it was, uh, yeah, I learned not to ever trust, not that I ever did, but I didn't trust bosses in any shape or form after that. <laughs> well, nothing's changed. 
exactly. Can't complain about bosses behaving like bosses. But anyway, exactly. I'm just interested in, because you're also not just the Geelong organiser, you're also looked after the Western District. And I'm interested in this perhaps uncertainty between country and city, because Geelong is a city, but it's also in the country. And that, I would have thought, would have added to the difficulties of organising and, in fact, motivating people who come from a country town and Western District up to Geelong to work, just as much as it is a problem between someone coming from uh, Geelong and going and working in, say, Horsham or something like that. I would have thought it would have added a, a degree of difficulty to the whole thing. Oh, yeah, it, it, it did. But um, we had a, an unprecedented boom down in the Western District. And uh, we even to the point where we went and spoke to the Shire and said to them, look, uh, there's some projects you've got targeted now that you've had on the books since the 60s. Why don't you hold off the permits on those jobs until some of these major refurbs of Neffles and uh, Warnable Cheese and Butter, which had major projects going, but then you had shopping complexes and the police law courts and police station and a range of other... And that's just Warrnambool. Yeah, and uh, it was either boom or bust, and the locals were missing out because, yes, they'd get on one of those projects, but then Labor would have to come from Melbourne, and uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I discovered in those regional areas, if you are seen to be maximising opportunities for the locals, be it the subby or, or their workers, because at the end of the day, if the subby gets the job, the worker gets the job, and uh, if you take that attitude uh, wherever you go, they'll stand by it. They'll do pretty well whatever you want. And, uh, I was lucky uh, because I had Maury Hill organising with me down at Nick of the Woods. And uh, he'd come down every now and again. And just because of his doggedness, I used to say, well, if I can't get it sorted, I'll have to bring Maury down. And that helped me no end. Um, I remember uh, there was a job getting done at Nelson a new bridge and we'd heard from Portland that the blokes weren't happy. So I drove down first, had a bit of a talk to the blokes, said to the company, no, the BBIA should apply on this job and uh, side allowance and all the rest of it. And uh, said I'd be back in a week. Anyway, they contacted Vic Rhodes and I believe it was Jerry Benstead's father who was a... Jimmy? Yeah, he, uh, they said, well, what do we do? He said, well, where are you set up? And they said, we're on the Victorian side of the bridge. I think you'd better negotiate with them. In the meantime, the company, and I can't think of their name now, but they contacted the AWU. The AWU came down, uh, went into the office, spoke to the boss, took off, didn't speak to the blokes who were wearing uh, wetsuits and everything, working down under the bridge, doing footings and all sorts of things. And uh, that really disgusted them. And then we rolled in and they said, uh, oh, look, you'll have to give us a bit of time. Introduced Murray. I said, that's fine, that's fine, I want to have a look over your equipment. Anyway, uh, we, we struck a deal there, and these guys, all to a man, joined the CFMEU, and yeah, it, was a great, uh, it was a great victory, but I had a lot of good experiences with Murray, and like I say, just the mention of his name, especially uh, where cranes were involved. Yeah, no, I don't know whether they respected him or they were just shit scared, but, uh, you know, he done me a treat down there, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Just thinking back to some of the big jobs that were out 
in the regional areas. Obviously, the Mineral Sands project. project. You mentioned a couple already. Nestle down at Dennington. Um, Warnable Cheese and Butter. Warnable Cheese and Butter. Caroit. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, there were a number of jobs in Portland over the years. And I would have thought, you know, Warrnambool Base Hospital, these would have kept a lot of people going over a long period of time. Or is that not necessarily the case, that there, it was a lot patchier than it actually looked? What they tried to do, and there, were, there was guys there, and um, I know you, you knew a few of them, that, um, you know, they were construction workers, but opportunities for them to work in their own backyard were very few and far between, basically because they weren't backward in uh, stand-up. Good workers, good solid workers, not, um, not lazy by any stretch of the imagination, but they expected the same sort of uh, representation and uh, the same sort of safety as they'd seen and experienced in Melbourne. Mm. And uh, it was my job to try and make sure those blokes got work. Mm. Um, and, and by that, they, they'd wing blokes over for you. You know, I didn't have to spend a hell of a lot of time in the pubs down there after hours, which was good because um, uh, I got caught a couple of times and um, not good for your health. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was uh, a good experience and uh, I met some uh, some great blokes here and they did. Once they knew you were genuine, then they'd talk to, you know, the young ones and say to them, this is the only way to go. Mm. Um, and we, we had some interesting battles. And just on that, because not everyone appreciates the stress and difficulties that come with being a union organiser, one, and two, a union organiser that's making the effort, earning their money. I would have thought that in a regional town, separated from Melbourne Metro, uh, not far, but you're out of, you're out of the loop in, in Melbourne, then you've also got the rural areas and so on. It takes its toll. Just the travelling, I would have thought, takes its toll. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, um, I know, uh, I think it was Dave Riddell, he ran off the road and rolled a car um, looking after that area. And um, I came to the conclusion, I used to try and cover as much as I could, but then I worked out it, you don't get to the end because uh, it's just an ongoing thing. And... Uh, it, it it does uh, it does take it take its toll on family and um, you know just having to stay at that stage because of the amount of work down there having to stay away um, overnight and that um, it was uh, yeah it does take its toll but um, and for stewards too they're they're also isolated yeah exactly <laughs> and if it wasn't for mobile phones the, yeah. the contact would be even less going back to the seventies and that. In the 80s, before mobile phones, basically it was a landline. If you couldn't get to a landline, you're in trouble. Well, and the bosses made good use of the fact that um, as soon as you hit town, by the time you got to the next job, everybody knew you were in town. Every company knew, oh, he's on his way, you know. Um, it used to work as a bit of a, a bush telegraph. But we, um, down in Geelong, we, we started having our own sub-branch meetings or shop stewards meetings and we got those blokes uh, from Warrnambool to come up and, and made them feel that they were um, part of 
the bigger the bigger organisation that you know, mm. and um, it was great. They uh, and the feedback we got off jobs, you know, they they'd hear rumours and um, you, you you know we've heard a job's going to start here and this one's got the job and all this sort of stuff. The, the amount of information that mm. came from those out of work stewards um, was was you know it was. Um, very, very invaluable. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, um, you know, and we had we had blokes um, down on projects uh, down in Apollo Bay, Lawn. Um, we just had the funeral of a of a real yeah. uh, a bloke who used to live in uh, Geelong, and he was a steward on small jobs here. And I got him to go to Lawn to a sewage treatment plant they were building for Lawn. And uh, then put him down in Apollo Bay on the next sewage treatment plant, and uh, he ended up finishing his days down there. He uh, he never left, and he was a great source of information um, for anything that was coming up. You know, even the region, even after he'd retired, he he still uh, he still kept an active participation, and uh, yeah, he's just recently passed, and that's why I think this podcast is uh, a great idea because there's too many of them. That we didn't get their stories, and um, I, I think, uh, yeah, let's let's yeah, get them while we can. And just on that subject, because I've got a few other subjects to talk about, but just on that subject, are there people in Geelong, the Western District, who you think really contributed to the development of unionism in the area, and also to the development of the CFMEU? who maybe need a little bit of recognition. Because I would have thought that some of the secretaries of the Geelong Trades and Labor Council made a huge contribution. People like the Southwest um, Trades and Labor yeah. Council, those people were isolated and, and, and basically flew the flag in the most difficult of times. I mean, yeah. unemployment makes life difficult for unions because people not working don't really connect as much as they should, and so on. It, I mean, the base here, I would have thought, was good. And I, I'd just like to, you yeah, to reflect base, on that. The base was good, but um, not, only, uh, not only that. I mean, uh, I, I think, like I said earlier about um, fundraisers, they didn't have to be members of the union, but if, uh, if our stewards heard about some family... Uh, that was in a bad way or, or whatever and I can remember numerous uh, you know you'd hear of a, a young kid that um, their life expectancy was you know mm. uh, not good and uh, had nothing to do with the construction industry but they were known in say Warnable mm. and uh, then we'd we'd organise uh, that and I think that gave that gave us a great um, uh, respect Amongst farmers, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. normally, uh, and and nothing gives you goosebumps um, like like uh, helping a family um, that's in those sorts of situations. And um, we had some, yeah, like you said, we had some great blokes that um, that fitted that bill, and all they needed was um, somebody to uh, what's the word light the fire under it. Mm. And uh, once they'd been to a few fundraisers and then they heard about something, 
um, then they give it a go and uh, yeah, some of the best times of uh, my uh, time in uh, in the industry were, you know, fundraisers and uh, chopping people out. It was just second to none. And the uh, and the relationship with other unions in the area was highly developed. In my memory, is with the metal workers of the ETU and so on, there was constant interplay where people not only helped each other on a more personal level, but also in industrial sense. Exactly. And exactly. there's some good, some good agreements came out of this area. Yes, yeah, and I don't want to praise him up too much because I'm having lunch with him, but uh, <laughs> Craig Johnson was, uh, was behind a lot of that trailblazing of agreements and yeah, great support from the ETU. The plumbers, um, you know, they wax and wane a little bit and they tend to isolate themselves. But um, during my time, there was uh, some good organisers that, um, that showed, you know, good unity and solidarity. And, and because we, we were all in the same boat, um, we'd help each other out if we had to go to Warnable or address the gas plant down at down Port at Campbell. Campbell and, you know, any of the major projects. It was good to uh, consult before we'd have the meeting and, uh, you know, get everybody's views and... Um, then, if, if an organiser needs backing up, you could do that and uh, help explain uh, to the masses um, why we were doing something. And um, yeah, now we had good unity for the best part of it. Yeah. Now, some of the projects that have been developing in uh, Geelong in recent times has been more focused on the CBD. Has that yeah brought about a change in how the union operates and how the industry's been operating? Because I would have thought that a lot of people are coming now from Melbourne to Geelong. Exactly. Whereas traditionally it's always the other way. Yeah, and companies, and I can remember one company, I won't mention their name, but uh, one of the principals of that company I, uh, I ran into, anyway, he's retired, it was Tony Isaacson. <laughs> and he done a couple of jobs in Geelong and I said, well, what do you think about working in Geelong? He said, listen... He said, oh, I love it. He said, but I tell everybody else, you're a pack of bastards down here, so they'll stay away. <laughs> but uh, and, and that has been a problem. But um, you know, for the main part, once they, once they meet us and um, they know that we want a successful job too, but we want it done safely. And we'll, if we give undertakings, um, we'll, uh, we'll abide by them and we won't give you nutters. As I used to say to them, if I give you a nutter, he might give you grief, but he'll give me grief as well. So we get the uh, most of the stewards have worked out um, really well uh, to the point where Canes, uh, since they first came to Geelong, um, they've done a hell of a lot of projects in Geelong. The football uh, ground, the Geelong Hospital, St John of God Hospital, schools around the traps. They've had a good feed out of Geelong and um, they employed a lot of Geelong contractors. So, yeah, once we got over, you know, the... Reputational yeah. issues. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> but just on the on, now on the subbies, because that's a, another area which is undergoing some change, because most of the subbies in Geelong tended to look to Melbourne to work for continuity of work. Well, had to for continuity. But yeah. with the WorkSafe building and so on, I would have thought that a lot of your subbies down here would now have developed to the point where 
one, they've probably improved their act. Two, they're improving the requirements of the, of the major contractors, but also the experience means they're doing a better quality job. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But um, through our efforts, I mean, uh, I remember we had contractors uh, down here that were, uh, what would you call them, probably just second tier. And uh, we'd say to um, builders like out at Warren Ponds there, look, if you maximise opportunities for local contractors, all you'll get out of us is cooperation. And we said, uh, for your earthworks, and they said, oh, we always use um, Delta. And we said, well, that's no good to us. Anyway, they took on board what we said, and there's a company in Geelong that uh, grew massively on that project mm. with their assistance. I'm trying to remember who they were. But old, uh, what's his name? We got him on there, um, and he was about 75, not out. O'Connor. Oh, yeah. Kevin. Kevin O'Connor. Cobber. Yeah, Cobber. And uh, they educated these contractors. Even um, we said we, uh, to the best of your ability, don't bring any plasterers down. We've got any amount of plasterers there. If you have to, split the contract. You know, if you if you think they're not up to scratch to do the whole lot, split the contract and give it to two John contractors, which they did. And it worked to their satisfaction and we maximised opportunities for our, uh, our men. Well, they're all members, but um, I like to, to do the job. The Fortress Geelong does require a passport. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that is the basis on which you build an industry. And then if we've got a capacity to move backwards and forwards between Metro Melbourne and Geelong and the Western District, I would have thought that was in the interest of everybody. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure the builders always accept that. No, they... they you know, for whatever reason, uh, and and we would uh, try and strictly enforce the extra travel from Melbourne. Uh, and then we'd say to bosses, "Listen, we haven't got two heads. Our blokes are capable. You can save that money hmm. by employing locally." And you know, it'd be a uh, suck at the sea type thing. They put on a couple, and I'd just say to the blokes, "Listen, my ability to get another bloke on depends on you doing the right thing." So even if the bloke was a little bit, you know, not, not the hardest worker, if you knew that his uh, work ethic would count for the next bloke getting a job, yeah. they tend to... The bloke he's having a, a drink with after work. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, we played on that and, um, you know, I reckon I can probably count on me one hand uh, the nutters we've had in the industry, but I wouldn't class them. Not on radio. No, we always have a problem, but people have a right to work and yeah. we do what we can. Yeah, now, in terms of the health and safety, you're obviously happy that conditions and yeah. standards have improved, yeah. but has the influx of WorkSafe into this town on a permanent basis, as I look at the horizon and see their sign, has it actually improved? I believe it's deteriorated. Um, in all honesty, they, and I don't know whether it was because, you know, different uh, hierarchies that were running uh, WorkSafe uh, had different attitudes but I can remember when they used to you know used to be and I all, all the time and they didn't always uh, fall into line with what we wanted but that they would uh, be proactive and uh, I've spoken to a few that have uh, since left work cover and um, even they say it, they don't feel that they're uh, as active as they as they should be which 
you know, you can look at the positives. If they don't do it, we'll bloody do it. You know, and I never used to call on them a hell of a lot, but um, the bosses used to call them after we'd... Give them a touch-up. Yeah. I remember a good instance. It was three of us. Um, when they did the Barland Bridge, the conditions it w- were a disgrace. You've got people rowing under the bridge, rowing practice and bike, you know, people on bikes, and they're doing a they're doing walkways on either side. The company that were doing it didn't have an EBA, but that that was you know really immaterial. The toilet facilities they had no toilet facilities, just public toilets, and uh, somebody had an accident in them and uh, left a deposit on the floor and it had been there for days. Anyway, the job got closed down and I'd taken Murray. Murray had retired and I'd taken him out um, for the day to a major job just to catch up with the boys and uh, Murray happened to be with me. So we called into the job and we had to close it down. It was just an accident waiting to happen and there's a photo of us closing the job down and Murray's in the photo and it's got uh, independent consultant, <laughs> Murray Hill. And then I saw Tommy Watson the next day and said, oh, Murray wants to know where to send his bill for his consultancy. <laughs> but um, and I can remember this work, work safe uh, bloke. He rang me up going off his head saying, oh, is this just a, uh, a get up because they haven't got an EBA? I said, get down to the job and have a look. And now he's pretty high up. Anyway. It just seems to be that what used to be a, a given, that WorkSafe would walk on and give them a notice. Yeah. If there was a problem, give them a notice. Where it went to in the long term was always, I suspect, a matter of negotiation between WorkSafe and the boss. But that proactive thing has disappeared. Yeah. And if it's disappeared in... The city where WorkSafe is actually quartered, then that's a problem. Exactly. I really don't know how they um, explain their relevance. Um, to be honest, I, if your issue isn't to go around and be proactive and stop accidents, then what what do you do? You you just go to where the accidents have already happened. Anyway, I, luckily I live down in Forest, and uh, we don't see a lot of um, major construction down there. So, but I do hear. I do hear quite a lot. As long as you don't see the meat inspectors. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Little joke between us here. Yeah. Now, in terms of the industry, what do you think have been the major improvements? And maybe, like WorkSafe, what have been the major disappointments? In your mind, there's a vast number of issues that could be covered in that, but what sticks in your mind? I think health and safety training that uh, and career path for the non-trades and also also the carpenters. I mean, training's available to everybody within the union. I think probably training and uh, education that provides a, a career path has been uh, has been great. I mean, whatever your bent was, you know, if you wanted to be a scaffolder, they'd train you up. Unfortunately, uh, you know, with deregulation, it went the other, went the other way where you could get a a scaffold ticket in two weeks and uh, then be on a shutdown hanging off the catcracker trying to do a drop scaffold. But yeah, that and uh, oh, just just even the even the bosses. Uh, my my line was always if you work for Alcoa or you work for Fords, it was in their interest to uh, develop good safe work methods. Whereas in construction, it was uh, you know if you can get a bloke to hang by his ankles. I'm talking about. Uh, an actual bloke who, who got tied by his ankles to go inside a pipe to uh, grind the inside of the weld, they'd take that chance because they could save so much money. But 
I think that's largely disappeared. You've still got your, your cowboys, but not to the extent that uh, it used to be in the early days of the industry. What about what about conditions, you know, redundancy, inclement weather, oh, these sorts yeah, of things? Yeah. That, I mean, what do you reckon were the outstanding things in your time in the industry? Well, I, th- I think you've got to wait. I think most construction workers have got to wait until they retire to work out how good superannuation is and the fact that with CBUS set up as it is, and I hope it always stays that way, where we've got a major say or a, an equal say in um, in our investments, and I mean, that, that's been a godsend mm. for construction workers. It set me up to enjoy, enjoy my retirement. And, yeah, so that's... I always think how lucky I am that superannuation was brought in when it was brought in. The redundancy... Uh, is another great achievement and long service leave um, used to be only available to the hierarchy of the you know the industry and uh, all those sorts of things and um, I think back to you know the likes of Norm Gallagher and others you know demanded that for the workers I've got you know good memories of uh, those campaigns and um, there's been some great great games there safety superannuation, redundancy, you know, all those sort of things, and your career path. The union assisting you with your career path. Are there any conditions, benefits you think we've lost in the time or have become more difficult to enjoy? Yeah, um, probably leisure time. I, I think too many guys are working too many hours and feel the obligation, even though the even though they're getting taxed to buggery, I wish uh, I wish blokes wouldn't live so much or depend so much on uh, massive hours because I, I reckon that takes a toll on your on your family and uh, just your own ability to enjoy life. Yeah, uh, that's about the downside of it, I think. Now, are there any particular parts of the agreements that we have these days which you think were breakthroughs? I mean, wages is always an issue, but it's sometimes the conditions. I always say that the best part of the award was always the inclement weather clause, but, you know, because it makes the difference between enjoying a job and not. Yeah. Because if you're getting flogged in shit conditions, it's very hard. That was a great achievement, and uh, as long as that gets the younger ones recognised, no, never mind, you know, they might say, um, oh, but it's only, you know, it's only 10, 10 yards to the, through the rain. So listen, when the boss starts paying your workers' comp, Forgetting the flu, maybe we'll consider it. But um, yeah, no, it, it, the inclement weather is uh, something that was hard fought for, and I'd I'd hate anybody to uh, look towards trading that off in any way, shape, or form. There's a few things that um, you know. I've always had a bit of a parochial um, attitude, and uh, I just hope that uh, we all work under the same agreement and same conditions. We never get to a point where um, you get a lesser uh, rate if you're in a regional area. You know, the mud's the same, the fucking, you know, the wind and cold's usually fucking worse. Yeah, I just hope we never get to uh, that sort of a situation where we're doing deals or trading off things like participation in uh, mixed metals agreements and uh, those sorts of things. Um, They were great achievements and... um, I don't want to see blokes missing out on those those things just because they live in the country. Mm. Um, as long as we as long as we apply it across the board, then our members who pay the same uh, union dues as, as the guys in Melbourne, uh, 
feel like they're, they're uh, equal citizens. Now, I'll put this to you. If there is an achievement made in agreements and so on, would you agree that there might be a bit of an attitude that once we've got it, we're going to keep it? Because it just seems to me that a lot of people don't appreciate that things are won and then they're not necessarily just taken that's taken it. away. They can drift away. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I, um, and I was alluding to that earlier, uh, I just think the, uh, the young blokes, and I'm not blaming them, but, uh, you know, a lot of them have never been through any major time in the grass. I think if they got a better understanding of, of what some people uh, went through to achieve those, mm. maybe they'd be a bit more protective of them. Mm. Um, I really do think, and I don't know of another way, that uh, your shop stewards should be educated by us, by the union, to get out and educate the, the workers. There's been some great blokes that did it over the years, but then there's some others that, you know, I don't know whether they haven't been uh, educated enough or encouraged enough to uh, get out there and sell the message. Like old, uh, what's his name used to say, get out where the hammer's whack. Yep. What's his name? Get out where the hammer's whack. Marco. Marco Masters, yeah. Now, on the reflection, what do you think you achieved as one, an activist in uh, the union? Because you're a member of a number of unions. As we all were, because we worked across industries in those days. Now it's only one construction area. And also as an official. Is there anything that stands out in your mind that you are really pleased about? I think I know the answer, but I think I'd like you to say it. I think my major achievement would be what I learned from what I uh, saw when I first came into the BLF. My ability to um, weld the troops together, have the troops trust me, and um, know that I... I had a uh, an army behind me. Like I used to say to some stewards, don't go off too far and turn around and see that you've got nobody behind you. Yeah, just, you know, I reckon that. Brother, if you don't mind me saying so, if you're getting recognised for doing the job, that's an achievement. Mm. And I think that's a good way for people to judge whether you are doing the job. And finally, because we've gone over an hour now, and I'm quite happy to keep talking, but are there any thoughts that you've had as we've spoken that you would like to reiterate or maybe add to by some examples of people who've made a contribution, issues in the area or your area over the years which need to be highlighted. I would have thought that going back to the collapse of the uh, Carayo overpass bridge, that was a, a big incident. Some of the uh, picket lines and Godfrey Hurst, I think, was one, and the scouring plant and so on. Shell refinery. Mm. And there were challenges, you know, shell, you know, they were forever trying to uh, challenge us. And whilst we didn't have a um, big workforce in there, we had civil blokes in there, we always always backed the other unions and, and they backed us. I can remember, you know, we were standing on the railway line to stop the trains going into Shell and the police horses where we all had to um, link our arms in front of Shell refinery and the police horses charged us and um, I remember my partner getting uh, a horse stood on her foot and she had a black toe for God knows and we had another bloke who had a uh, colostomy bag on and I had to scream at him to get away from the picket line because of the horses yeah you know 
those sorts of things. But, but yeah, what I would have, as soon as you give me the opportunity, and I've been pushing this ever since I found out what a great idea it is, men's sheds for our members. And Ralph, you would have met some members that are at a loss once they retire. Well, the government, for whatever reason, and I don't often uh, pat uh, Kennet on the back, but um, with his Beyond Blue and that the funding that's been made available and pretty well uh, equally to rural areas and uh, and the cities uh, for these men's sheds, they are a great service we can um, exploit. And when I say exploit, I mean it in the best way because uh, the old blokes are... are uh, and I'm going to a lunch um, shortly and... Uh, we get the old blokes there, and uh, if you can point them in the direction, or you can assist their men's shed, or help them form a men's shed, and then you, you might be on a job where um, the company could prevail upon, and uh, listen, uh, any chance you could do a little concrete job for this mob, or, and, and most companies, when they know it's for a men's shed, and they know it's not a fiddle, they're more than happy, um, and I, I, I was pleasantly surprised with the amount of support that companies gave to men's sheds, even to the point where they drive down to have a look, to see, oh, oh no, they're fair dinkum, they have got a men's shed, and they are doing this, that, and the other, and I, I think it's appreciated by, by the retirees even if they're not construction workers. I mean, uh, I can remember a couple of people saying, oh, I didn't know the unions got into this sort of thing. And it puts us in a, in a good light. And it uh, provides, you know, because you think about the amount of camaraderie you had in your working life, and then all of a sudden you're retired. And, you know, the missus, is, she's already well organised as far as her day. And you're just sitting around. But I really am convinced that that's the way to go get into them and support them and then tell your, tell your retiring members, go along, have a look at it. If that one's not to your liking, go to another one. There's plenty of them. I've been to them all over. Gippsland, down there, they make their own coffins. Well, not their coffins, they flog them off. They make cheap coffins. And there's ones down in Colac that um, the guys, uh, the, a, lot of them, a lot of them are uh, mechanical-minded, so they buy old cars do them up, but do them up properly, not bog jobs and all the rest of it, and then they on-sell them, and uh, that goes towards uh, not only themselves, but they've got other areas like helping out with disabled kids and all that sort of stuff. It, it's great for the community, and uh, money's there. Can I put it to you? Once an activist, always an activist. Oh, definitely. And um, and that makes you feel good? Yeah, exactly. You, you, um, I still love it every time there's a fundraiser or something like that going along and being a party to it. I remember uh, we, we had a campaign down there when Telstra were going to put a, uh, no, it was Optus, we're going to put a tower in town without any consultation and instead of going on a farm, the council were going to get the money. Anyway, we, uh, we had a picket down there and I don't think there'd ever been a picket in Forest. We had a march from the Market Square to the council offices. We had both Senator Henderson and Darren Cheeseman falling over themselves to chop us out. It was at an opportune time and both claimed victory at the end of it, but we got rid of the tower and uh, where the tower was going to go is where our men's shed is now. So it taught the town that if you stick together, you know, that they all didn't fall in line and become militant unionists, but they, they know what can be achieved if you all stick together. Now, just on a final point, it's often the older members and those who have retired and 
They say that the industry is not as fun as it used to be. Now, fun doesn't mean stupidity and everyone laughing at someone's idiocy, but in terms of the stress in the industry now compared to when we were young blokes working in the industry, it just does seem to be different. It's far more mechanical and exploitative in some ways than it used to be. And regimented, and uh, yeah, there's not the... um Maybe it's because, you know, they've worked out how to squeeze that extra bit out of you. And well, we used to go home for 24 hours. That's it. We didn't get we didn't have RDOs to start with. Then we yeah. won one RDO a month. And all the hours and that, you used to have to work, I think. Yeah. A homer did everyone a bit of good. Yes, exactly. But, you know, I still put it down to um, a lot of the younger ones are getting themselves into, uh, you know, Blake's... Saying, oh, I don't want to go on strike. I've got a mortgage on that other place that I'm buying. And, you know, this sort of stuff. You know, a lot of them have got to compromise um, their morals to a certain certain point. Well, not their morals, but their conditions to a certain degree. And, um, you know, a mate of mine who's a steward out at Avalon, he had to tell the blokes there was no work on a Saturday. I couldn't believe it. At least down the country... They don't work anywhere near as mouth because they cherish their you know, local footy and all that sort of stuff. And the meetings, oh, some of the meetings we used to have, I can remember Tommy Watson on the stump and uh, Dean Myler, oh God. You know, they could talk. And then you had other blokes that were just mesmerising and, um, yeah. And some of the marches that we used to go on. I remember when Kaimo was supposed to get out of jail and we, we marched and then called the jobs off. Yep. Crawled them down and uh, one wouldn't come, so somebody must have leant on the fire alarm. They all had to come down. And then the judge threatened not to let him out if we didn't shut up in court. No. And his name was Cummins too, wasn't it? Yep, Mr Justice Cummins. Yeah. On a point that I think has probably come out of this conversation, it's not only the individual in the union, in the industry, but it's how... We interact with people in the union, in the industry, and in the community. I just get the feeling, and I'd just like you to comment, that maybe that relationship has broken down. Yeah, and I think about it uh, all the time. I mean, uh, it was only the other day, I was thinking about Dominic Amato, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, there was groups of people, that, like the people at the Vicky Market, people that parks were saved for, you know, and Gallagher never didn't want it all documented, but, you know, the things that he did, um, you know, looking after, drawing people out and, um, you know, if they were out of jail, he'd help them and, uh, yeah, a lot of... Well, long-term relationship with Father Brosnan. Yeah, well, um, he never went around spraking it or, and, yeah, just a lot of history there that, um, I don't know whether it's because we're more corporatised or... Well, that is, that is a real issue. Because the solidarity, the personal relations, the community sort of involvement, I just get the impression that, like me, you've probably seen a change that maybe not for the better. Yeah, and uh, really, uh, that stands you in good stead. That that grew us, I think. And it can be recreated. Yeah, well, I think it needs to be. I I really do. I think it behoves us to do it. And anyway, we'll see... uh, Passage of time. Yes, yes. I hope people that can take us that way end up in positions of decision. Yeah. Right, is there any other issues you'd like to reflect on? 
The only thing I'd say is uh, I'd like to let everybody know that there is definitely life after uh, the construction industry. And uh, when I told my grandson, who lives with me, that I was going to do a podcast, he said, mention me. (laughs) He played soccer last night. He plays in the under-13s and uh, he kicked three goals. And I'm extremely proud of him. So uh, if this does get an airing, there, Hamish, I did mention you. (laughs) Well done. Thank you very much, brother. That was Brendan Murphy talking to Creatures of the Industry. And you're going to be remembered uh, through a whole lot of broadcasts, I hope, over the, uh, the journey and also on the Union website and so on. Brendan Murphy, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Ralph. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, the Concrete Gang's fill-in show for this summer, and there will be more interviews to come over the following weeks and hopefully an ongoing series well into the future. Thank you for listening. For a hard and weekly pay Produces mighty profits for